Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of Covey Club and of the Reinvent Yourself podcast. I am so glad you're here today. I love when I find out about a whole world that I didn't even know existed and that you can get paid for and have a whole career in. And of course it existed. I just didn't know about it. That's what I love about my job, which is getting to interview amazing people like Suzanne Randolph, who is a women's global lug. She's creator of the women's global luxury resource and an experienced fine art advisor. She also runs something called the Alix Experience, which is trips, art trips around the world that she does for women, all based on her reinvention, which you'll get to hear about. And what I love is I, I just get so inspired by women who have been very successful, like Suzanne. They've had these incredible careers. And yet at the same time, they know there's more for them. They're not done. They have other things they want to contribute. And Suzanne's reinvention came out of an event in her personal life where she found she needed help and there was no help. Guess what? That's how the Alix experience was born. And what she says is that to find your reinvention, it's always been there. You just have to look at yourself and see, put the little pieces together because it's already inside you, which is a wonderful point of difference from a lot of the reinventors that we've talked to. I love the idea of looking inward to find that the thing you should do. So here is Suzanne, and she is going to talk about the Elite's experience and all the different things she's done in art through her whole life and how it has led to her reinvention today. Welcome, Suzanne. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. It's great to be with you, Leslie. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me. Great. So let's start a little bit. You have a really interesting, very different kind of reinvention. I always like to find out, like, what did you do before you did the Alex experience? And well, what led you there? Where you, I mean, you know, let's talk a little bit about where you grew up and what you thought you were doing or what you did and before you got to your reinvention. Well, I, I grew up in New York. I grew up on a wonderful street in Harlem called Compton Avenue, which is one of the prettiest streets in New York. Had a lot of family friends who interestingly were very close to lots of artists. And one of my mother's dear friends had artists over for dinner like Jacob Lawrence and Hale Woodruff. And, and I would go there, she had a granddaughter that was my age. And um, we would take these naps and I'd wake up in this beautiful room that was filled with art. And then I ended up as we got older, you know, as teenagers to really meet these artists. And it was really kind of a moment where, you know, art became a wonderful level and comfort, comforting part of my life. And um, I grew up, um, went to public schools, went to specialized you know, um, programs within public schools, ended up going to music and art high school as a art major. Um, went on to a woman's college, which I hated because I thought I wanted to be a re in retail, if you can believe that. And then ended up going to a small school in, in Vermont in majoring in art history. But what really sort of brought it together for me was that I um, worked, my very first job was working for the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, where I headed their works of art in public places and the visual arts program really, which included putting works of art 
in public places. And at the time, you know, I was doing this, you know, late 70s and, um, and the world was very exciting. I mean, art was, artists were open. You could see any artist who wanted to see you to make a project happen. Corporations were eager to be involved with the arts. And um, that's what started me on that path. And being in the government and then not-for-profit art world, I had several other friends and we always knew these wonderful emerging artists, you know, who was the newest talent, who wasn't getting recognized. And one of my, them to become partners had a friend with a corporation. And we said, well, we know these artists and corporations should be really, be collecting young talent that we know will be increasing in value. So that's how my world as a fine art advisor started and um, started with two partners, ended up with one partner for a number of years. And when I started on my own, I guess, oh, probably about 15 or so years ago, um, I carried the whole theme of public art and works of art in public places as a passion, which I continue to do today. And um, it sustained my, um, my art practice and in many ways has sort of evolved in my interest as I traveled internationally, looking at art and keeping up with um, artists who were doing wonderful big scale, large scale art projects at the Venice Biennale or um, the big fairs Documenta in Dusseldorf, I would sort of go to see these fairs and just stay abreast with the field. And I always travel alone. Um, I was the one that had the passion. Um, my husband said, I was very fortunate to say, go and enjoy and see. And um, I would travel more and more on my own. And um, I realized that I was all by myself. And at the end of the day, I didn't know where to eat by myself. I'd go into restaurants and I would say, oh, this feels good. And then when I get up and I'd say, well, it really doesn't feel good. And then I realized that there were other women that were like me who traveled mostly for business and, you know, with corporations sending them all over the world who really had that same feeling of really feeling alone. But that created um, the Ellie's experience, which was much broader with concierge services in different cities and stuff. Um, but the interesting thing is I think about this conversation with you and thinking about the creation of Alix. I mean, I've always had different entrepreneurial business ideas. And, um, and one of them was with, um, to create a series of museum, um, museum stores in airports, <laughs> which a friend of mine who was a big successful realtor um, earlier, older than I am, um, Evan Janipik would say, he says, you know, that was the one you should have done. And then um, before Alix, I went to the California College of, Art, of the Arts and got an MBA in design strategy. And that was an interesting time to kind of really look at how you work with clients and stakeholders from their perspective. I was always working with artists and doing what artists wanted. And with the design thinking that you really turn to look at stakeholders and really kind of have that as your lead for um, developing concepts and developing business ideas. And so that thinking um, led to the creation of an interest, another business idea of having sort of a mind spa, a very high-end mind spa where you'd have lots of experiences such as cranial sacral work and meditations in immersive environments. Um, but it also then clicked as again, as I traveled um, after graduate school um, which I did in 2008 to 2010. So it wasn't just, you know, decades ago, but it was more recent. Um, 
to really look at these shared interests with other women who were are essentially the stakeholders of the LH experience. So, um, you know, that's sort of where I am and I'm growing it, you know, put a lot of money into it, which is another tip that I'll give at the end of my own money. Um, and now really sort of ups and downs of, of passion, um, cautious, a little bit of regret and kind of pauses, but you know, it's a new time for me, I think for all of us post COVID. And, and so I'm really excited about really gearing it up and becoming a member of Copy. I'm very excited about this expanded network with women who have the same shared moments in their lives. Lovely. Oh my God. I could just, I could just, I'm going to go eat, I'm going to go eat lunch while I just set you off and then I don't have to do any work here. So that's incredible. First of all, I didn't know there were jobs where you could get paid for placing art for, for government. Oh yeah. And, but that's incredible for everybody who's listening. Listen up. I had no idea. And then I didn't realize, I mean, of course, all the art that are in the buildings that we used to go to, now I don't know what's going to happen, COVID, I would love to hear what you think about that. But of course, they all had art in them. And um, who put them there? Exactly. Who put it there, yeah. right? Um, the art, the public art part of it, as I said, when I started my career working in the Department of Cultural Affairs, is still something I really care about. In fact, I have been doing, I just completed a project that was 2019 to 2020, where I was engaged um, by the by Battery Park City Authority to realize a, a vision of um, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, to um, oversee the process of commissioning an artist to do a memorial to the victims of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. So we did a whole process, looked at all the submissions and filtered through and came up with recommendations in terms of evaluating proposals. And that was a wonderful um, project. And I'm finishing up um, one now that will go in um, Upper Manhattan on the Harlem River and working with two public city agencies, the Department of Parks and the New York City Economic Development Corporation. I've done several projects with them where I'm commissioning artists to do a permanent work of art in public spaces. So that's sort of, you know, a thread that I still love doing because again it puts me in touch with new talent and it and it helps me to engage with being part of a design team with in this case architects landscape architects and engineers so that we really collaborate together to come up with a meaningful solution that can be enjoyed happily through through decades by members of the community so it's still kind of a thread that I really care about a lot and it, you know, and, and of course now the art world has changed so much. So when I was doing it as a young black woman, um, you know, entering the field of visual arts, I was certainly a minority. And now with galleries interest in collecting artists of color, um, it's a very wonderful um, experience to see how the field has growth, grown and how the engagement of curatorial and creative talent is really where it needs to be. Of course, there's more that needs to happen, but there's certainly recognition and participation that's far more active than it was 25 wow. years ago. Wow, it's I just am blown away. That's completely amazing. You should come down to New Orleans and see all the art down here. I'm sure you've been here, right? I mean, no, that's the thing. I haven't been to New ah, York. You I know. have to come. Are you black art? It's I, incredible. I, I know. Well, I know Willie Birch, who's an artist who's there. And I know of Prospect, 
and I see that it's on now. And, you know, I just have been wary about traveling. Yes. Of um, and then we'll um, get you down here. You, you will. And my father is from New Orleans. He came to oh. New York when he was when he was nine. And I have really no connection of family there. But my son and I keep saying my son is 33, that we really kind of need to dig in archives and see oh, what the Randolph, yes. what the Randolph history is there. Um, oh, yes. A, I think there's a Randolph plantation um, there. And, um, you know, it's it's just an interesting thing. In fact, just a quick note. Last night, there was something about New Orleans and um, a Spanish connection. When I did my 23andMe, I had a Spanish connection. So who knows? There's a lot to discover. Well, it was very mixed down here originally. It was Spanish and Native American and Creole French and yeah. African. And yeah. I mean, it was all very, very, very mixed in the very beginning it's, from the history that I've read. So yeah, exactly. All right. We're going to drag you down. I'm not worried anymore. You're coming. <laughs> bring, bring your son. You're coming down. He would love it. He would love it. So, but, you know, how do you see, how do you see art going forward though with COVID all this, all this public art, building art? What's it's, your, it's, what's your point of view it's on happening. that? I mean, because there's, there public, there's public money there for improvement. I think people in the, I've just been asked to be on several teams for another project in the Harlem river. And um, this is, this is public money that's been sitting around and to really enhance outdoor spaces and to really you know, deal with members of different communities, whether it's in Queens, Manhattan, Staten Island, um, the city cares and um, the monies are there. Um, and I do have, I'm fortunate to have several modest but lovely um, corporate projects that I'm working on. Um, they're nice sized projects with nice budgets. And again, the ability to really engage artists and work with clients to create new spaces for them. So, you know, it, and these are projects that will be completed. Um, these are new construction spaces actually that will be completed within the next three to four months. So things are happening, you know, it's, it's I think people really miss not being together. And I certainly miss not being together or having an office. And um, so I think that from what I'm hearing what people are saying, things will come back slowly but things will, maybe not the same way that they were before, but things will come back. We'll still have public spaces exactly. in any case. With fresh somehow. air. Right. Open air you what, know. Are you, what are you seeing with female artists out there? Are you seeing that's changing at all? Do you, are you able to and help that change or is it still dominated by men? Well, you know, I think it's, it's changing, you know, it's never going to be what it is, but interestingly, this small project I'm doing for for a repeat client, um, it's for different funds that in fact two women are running um, and they want all female artists. So, you know, it's really, it's really exciting. But, you know, if you talk to um, women artists, um, they're getting recognition, but a lot of it, like women of artists of color, you know, they say it's about time, but it's still, it's, there's still a lot to be done. Um, there's still a lot to be done and recognition in the press, recognition in acquisitions, and um, there's still a lot to be done. I mean, the market is crowded with so many other needing groups and over overlooked groups um, that it's it's the list is still long and the list still needs to be addressed. You know. So, Suzanne, how would you explain is is 
Alix, your major reinvention? Well, it, or how would you explain it? And how did you come about well, to I, do it? Well, you know, I think that in thinking about the word reinvention, I think um, Alix in a one in a funny way is sort of like recognizing who I am. <laughs> I I, you know, I found myself um, with the beginning of this year looking through randomly looking through a stack of diaries, you know, just little journals. And, you know, when the thing that would pop up is I want to create more. Um, I and I would look at my old old laptop and see that on my book bookmarks that I had planned trips to Japan, that I had planned around the world trips, you know. And I've I've seen like wish I could get on a plane and go to India and do a cooking class in India with Julie Sani, who I studied Indian cooking with years ago. So in a funny way, um, Alix is part of me that's always been there. And it's really, um, so I would say that it's about recognition. It's about, you know, who you are, kind of reflecting about, um, again, who you are and, um, and really reviewing and kind of moving forward. So I saw something that um, the other day talking about the great resignation and um, this particular um, website said, you know, it's really about the great resolution. And I think that um, with um, COVID, I think, and again, with a new year, but really COVID, I think that we're really resolved and making the resolution that we really have to move forward and do the things that we're passionate about. And I must say that, you know, I am very passionate about creating these tours. I'm doing two, three tours this year, which are, there's huge interest in them. And I really want to grow what I call the B2C, you know, intimate luxury tours for women and grow it also for doing more B2B tours that are really white label tours for other organizations. It could be a Kobe trip that we do, you know, but um, I feel really that it's kind of coming together with all the things that I've loved for years, you know, food, cuisine, exploring cuisine, looking at art, we're doing a trip for Provence in May, and we're going to be going to a wonderful place that has um, huge collections of outdoor collection of um, public art with Louise Bourgeois and Sean Scully and other major contemporary artists, and um, and a wine tasting part of this destination in Provence, and staying in Arles, which is now a huge art center that Maya Hoffman, a philanthropist, has created this wonderful new art center called Luma. So it all kind of comes together for me in terms of how I am actually being more the creator in curating these experiences and sharing them with women. And why do you think now? Why now? And you're, you know, this is a, a different age where some people feel really lost and they feel like they're being told to go away and they feel, they feel kind of invisible. You obviously don't feel that. How did you approach it differently? Well, I think it came, I, I think quite honestly, it, it really came over time of sort of not being hard on myself, quite honestly, you know, of saying all the things that I haven't done, all the things that I should be doing. And, um, you know, just sort of saying like done enough, you know, and I, and I would challenge any woman like I did to looking through their um, and then for that matter, anyone to look through your journals and it's always been there. You just are surprised that you've always said that you of the things that you've wanted to do have been there as part of who you are for, for, for decades. And I think that, you know, as you reinvent, I think it's more of a recognition or realization 
than a reinvention because it's kind of part of you. So my art part, my love of travel, my love of connecting with other women, um, exploring on my own and sharing those experiences um, is something that I've always been. I didn't always see it, but now, you know, I'm, I'm just saying I'm doing it and I'm doing it with a much, even though I've put a lot of money into it, I'm determined to get my money back by making a much more profitable enterprise. Um, and I think that the timing is also right where there are lots of women that really want to engage and feel that this is their time as well and to share it with others. What was your aha moment when you decided I'm going to put these things together? I'm going to put together my love of travel, I'm going to put together the problem of women traveling alone, I'm going to put together my love of art, and I'm going to turn it into an actual business. What made you like finally, because I think a lot of people listening have those loves, but what's that catalyzing moment where you say, oh, I should make this a business? Was there some was it somebody said something to you or? No, it, it, it's funny. I think it was, well, actually there was one moment that was very interesting because it originally started um, with the, the whole Alouette's experience really started with um, where to dine as a solo woman diner. And I was in Paris, a city that I know very, very well. And I was in Paris. Um, my husband and I had been there for two weeks. Then I went to Berlin for a, a dear friend's art opening. And then it was, I guess it must've been during Sandy. That's how many years ago this was now. And I said, I'm not staying in Berlin. I don't wanna stay here because I couldn't get a flight back to New York. So I went back to Paris and I was staying in a hotel in an area that I didn't know as well as where we usually stay. And, the, and it was cold and rainy. And I said to the concierge, where are gonna go to eat? And he told me where to go to eat. And I said, it was fine, fish and a glass of wine. And I got there and it was a far more formal restaurant than I'd ever um, realized. And I'm used to eating on my own. I don't have qualms. I never order room service when I travel. So that was number one, get out and just face it. And so the service was horrible, horrible. And I had my little notebook with me and I still have this notebook where I wrote down, there must be a resource of, for, globally of where women can dine on their own. And that was the one that, that was that moment, that funny moment when I'm sitting there writing again in a journal um, of, of the idea of, um, of creating a resource for women of where to dine. And then in talking with other women, it just it, it kind of, the needs became broader. And, um, but that was really the pivotal moment of understanding that I wasn't alone and that we just didn't know where to eat, that was comfortable and welcoming. And that story- What does Alix mean? Well, Alix is the name of Eleanor of Aquitaine's daughter. So it's a, the daughter. Of, of course. Who, uh, why didn't course. I know that? I, <laughs> right. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> but I, it's really funny because I, in, because I love France, I always knew it had to be a French name. That was it. And I always knew that it needed to start with A. Why? I don't know. Avon, the company for women. Um, Avis, the rental car company. I just sort of wanted to be sort of alphabetically at the top of the list. And um, so I went through my French, pure French dictionary and came up with different names and looked at the meanings of the names. And um, I came up with one called Abilene 
um, Abilene, I think it was, and I met, I was testing it with some other friends and they said, Abilene, is that in Kansas or wherever Abilene is? And I said, uh, no. And I realized that, that wasn't the right answer. And then I had some younger friends um, who were, did a lot of design thinking the way I did, but having that distance. And I had about four dear friends and we would meet in my office once a month and kind of just brainstorm. And we did a whole kind of brand exercise. And at the end of it, this one young friend of mine, who's, who's French actually, and she asked each of us, what's the name that comes to mind after what's the color, what's the music, all these different you know, components. And, um, and one of my friends said, I think the name should be called Suzanne. Um, and then everybody had a different name. And then about two or three days later, I'm walking down the street, and that's when I had came to the name Alix. And, um, and then I started looking up the meaning of the names and who was Alix and who are these different people. And it really kind of stuck. Um, hard to pronounce. Many people say Alex, but it is Alix. And, um, and that's So it. talk a little <laughs> bit about what people actually, like what you learned that you want to pass along for people who else what do they really have to do you said you invested a lot of money well um, yeah i did i did i, I too much do you think oh absolutely ab absolutely i think that um i think what happens when you have a passion um you really first of all you can never do enough research you can never do enough market research you can never have enough conversations and even though I had an MBA in design strategy, I was just so convinced of everything that I got and was all the information of what women were saying was really the way to go. But the whole iterative process of, you know, doing it incrementally, rethinking, really rethinking and reevaluating is critical um, because you always want to get, you always, when you have the passion, you often want to do it too quickly and pausing and reflecting is really, really, really key. Um, and then you get to a point where you try to use other people's money. I mean, one friend of mine said, never use all of your own money. Um, but I was always um, with a bit of a stubborn streak determined that it was all going to be okay. And it was, you know, in, in theory, I mean, it's, I've sort of waited out. Um, and I think that there really is an interest in these trips and creating more experiences. Um, but it's, it's not where I started. And I had to sort of, I made it way too broad. And um, had I really been more disciplined about what I learned um, and applied, um, I would have been even more ahead of the time, but I'm still feeling very confident and feel that I can do things more incrementally. Um, the other thing that I would say is that I think that um, it's really looking at yourself again. I think the information and, and who you are is always there. And I think it's really taking that time to really kind of pause um, to look and to think um, again about what really resonates and what, you, what you're really, really passionate about. I mean, you're the only one that can control it and not everybody can direct your life and, and you shouldn't really be other directed by people, but you should really kind of look within and um, move forward with that kind of passion and commitment to yourself, um, but still talking and learning and listening but really um, understanding what really is, is your, drives your passion and um, what really makes you feel good at the end of the day. And at the same time, you've kept income from what you used to do. Exactly. So you haven't let go of that rope 
completely, only, right? Only because I love it. I mean, as an example, I'm next year I'm doing these three trips to France this year, but next year I definitely want to do a trip to Marrakesh. Um, and um, I called a good friend of mine. We've been friends for so many years. He had an art gallery in New York. And I said, all right, Kurt, I want to do this trip to Marrakesh. And I said, I know you were involved with a board of, the of an arts festival there. And so Kurt sent me a list of about eight or nine resources in Marrakesh that would be art resources there that could be the kernel of putting together a wonderful trip, a wonderful experience. So, you know, it all kind of floats together and weaves together in um, ways when you least expect it. And I think, again, if you're, I mean, ultimately, um, if you're kind of doing the right thing and you're feeling passionate about it, I really think the universe sort of steps up to give you a hand. I really do. And when you say you spent a lot of money, can you explain what you were doing, spending money on research? Were you spending market research before you got started? Well, I, I, a I, website? I, Where were you putting I your did, money? What was costing? Um, staffing. I staffing is what I did. Is I really. Um, in order to develop the website that was focusing on um, and, and travel. But I, I traveled a lot. I was focusing on four cities that I knew very well, New York, San Francisco, Paris, and London. Um, I, had, um, uh, I had a young woman who really, who lived in London, who was very, very good in business and creating businesses herself. Um, and she really guided me in many, many ways to help to, to structure the, the concept into a more business structure. And then, um, and we went to London together. We went to Paris, I knew, but we went to London together, which was a great resource. And so I spent a lot of money in staffing. Who was writing the content for the website? Who was designing the website? Um, who was going to help me with um, promotion, sales and promotion with corporations, which I thought and who had indicated that they do research that, um, that corporations would be willing to give memberships to their executive women. So it was really a lot of staffing and, um, and I just should have stopped um, and paused and reflected more. Um, so the staffing and the, and the person power to, um, to really put the content and the structure together was where I put in the most money. And then um, I had all of this, you know, website up, content up, things designed beautifully. And then um, when things were sort of paused, that's when I developed the um, app. I did a, a GoFundMe and a Kiva loan for not a lot of money for about three or $4,000 and um, designed a, a mobile app of where to dine as a solo woman daughter, which I'm now going to um, up, up, you know, bring up to date um, because a lot of restaurants have closed and probably add more um, cities, but use it with um, interns to help me and, um, and do it that way and do, and I have other virtual assistants, one group that's very, very helpful that I work with in Bangalore. So they're talented, they're very well organized. And so doing it in a different way than um, spending a lot of money on staff. And when it comes together, right. it comes together. You know. Wow, incredible. So, where, yeah. where can people find you and Alix? And is the app up the and app running? Is can up you find that? The app 
is called Alix, A-L-I-X for one, and it's available only as an iOS platform on the Apple Store. And the Alix experience, A-L-I-X experience, is the website, um, .com. And you'll see um, coming up our trips um, under Alix Discovers. And then I'm going to be um, putting up a lot of um, sort of one-off virtual and in-person events that will start off at the end of this month in February. So um, that's where we are. And that's gonna be a growing um, calendar of events. And so it's, it is really kind of a, not a reinvention, it's kind of a restart and refresh this year for me. And then on the art side, um, there's Suzanne Randolph Fine Arts, A-R-T-S. And that's a wonderful, very pretty dynamic website as well, um, where we will be adding to what artists are doing in their studios doing COVID and, and um, what's coming up with different shows and events that we're doing in projects. Awesome. So that's me. That's awesome. Suzanne, awesome. Love. I, it's just, every time I talk to somebody who does your kind of thing, which is so different than anything I can imagine, there are probably a thousand people salivating thinking, I can have a life in art. That's incredible. So that is just amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And you've inspired, I bet you have just even our, the first listen, I'm guaranteeing at least 100 people are going to be banging at your door saying, do you need an assistant? <laughs> well, I'm happy to connect. And, and I thank you so much for setting up the Kobe Club. It's a wonderful, wonderful group. I love meeting women at the dinner when you were in New York. It was great. Vanessa, Tiffany and I have had dinner. Oh, wonderful. So, That's so great. It's, really, it's very, very special. Very wonderful. special. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Suzanne Randolph. I love how women put together, what do they call it in Silicon Valley, a need gap. When they find that there is a need that they have and there's a gap, nobody's filling it. Guess what? You can fill it. That's one great route to a reinvention. That's how I created Covey Club. There were very few places around for connecting women the way that a magazine did. And when the magazine business started to swirl down the, well, I was going to say toilet, but I shouldn't, the bathtub drain, um, I said, how do we do the same idea and actually bring it to life? That idea of connecting women through their minds and through their aspirations. And that's exactly what Suzanne did. So if you enjoyed this, I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast. Mosey on over to Covey Club, see what we're doing there. We do a lot with reinvention and we have all kinds of reinvention articles and resources and uh, get togethers and groups and all kinds of classes on reinvention. Everything you need is right there. We want to get you started. It is possible. You can do it. I'm telling you, we're, we're over a hundred interviews of people who've done it. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It's a lot about mindset. So hope you'll enjoy this and come on over to Covey Club and visit us. Take care.